we get an ambulance to your house in eight minutes or less. We're providing top-notch service for that money. And so people are willing to pay for excellence. They'll pay the higher price for serve higher level of service. Enchanted Sky Media. Media. From the Federal Resources Studio, this is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Code 3 features interviews with leading members of the fire service, discussing firefighting strategy, tactics, and other topics you need to know more about. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again here on Code 3. This is the show for and about firefighters. We're informing and entertaining members of the fire service, just like you, from coast to coast. Has your department given any thought to operating its own ambulances? It's happening around the country for various reasons. Lots of departments are considering it and moving in that direction. But there are some considerations to be checked out before a decision is made. And we have a couple of guests to explain them today. First up is Joe Maruka. He's the chief of the West Barnstable Fire Department, a combination department on Cape Cod in Massachusetts. He's on the NVFC board, and Joe is also a retired attorney. When do you believe it's time for a department to start considering their own ambulance service? Well, for a fire department, to make the decision to go into the ambulance services kind of comes from a couple different places. One, it could be community need. In, in rural areas in particular, it could be that the fire department is the best positioned organization to provide the service, even though it might not be something the department is particularly excited about doing. And, and so it becomes kind of a public policy argument that who else is going to do it? It could be because they've been covered by private services and it's become too expensive or the private services don't want to provide the service anymore. It could be that there was a separate volunteer ambulance department or squad that has failed. But the other reason that the the fire department might want to go in the ambulance business is because it is a business. And it could provide an appropriate revenue stream to the fire department to subsidize its firefighting operations with revenue from ambulance transports. Now, in your experience, does that work out? Do they actually make money or is it a break-even proposition most of the time? (laughs) I don't know if there is a most of the time. Or at least I've never seen any data from around the country that, that could allow us to answer that in a broad sense. I think it's a question that has to be answered by each individual community and its department. My department provides ambulance service, and we have done it since the 1970s. It was a public policy decision back when it, it got started, but there was also this, I think, 
undercurrent of thought, well, we're going to make money, you know, we're going to be able to bill for service and we'll have this money coming in that we wouldn't otherwise get. And the reality for us is that we lose money. The taxpayers are subsidizing our ambulance service. It would be my guess that most departments would tend to lose money even though they expected to make it on this proposition. I, I think you have to really analyze it. And there's some big demographic questions that will have a lot to do with whether or not you can make money. Before you can do this, you got to figure out how many patients a year are you going to take to the hospital. And from that number, because you can only bill for patients you take to the hospital. You, you go to somebody's house and they decide to go on their own or they decide they didn't need the ambulance and you come back to quarters. You can't bill for that. It's a lost trip from a financial standpoint. So how many times are you actually going to take somebody to the hospital is the number that you need to figure out. And then the second number you need to figure out is of those people, how many of them are going to be on Medicare or some other government insurance program? How many of them are going to have a private health insurance plan like Blue Cross? And how many of these people are going to be paying out of their own pocket? They're the private self-pay people. And you've got to know that mix because you will get it, you will collect. It doesn't matter what you bill, but how much you actually collect from these people will vary greatly in those three categories. So once you get that number and you know how much money you can generate from the ambulance, the next trick is, well, what's your cost of running the service? And there are a whole bunch of cost areas that you don't you don't see necessarily. There's, there's, if you're going to own an ambulance, you've got to have licensing, and there's a whole cost to licensing. There's a cost to owning the ambulance. Spend $200,000 for an ambulance. Maybe it's good for eight years. Cost you $25,000 a year to own it. You know, to amortize that ownership. You got to pay for vehicle insurance, malpractice insurance. There is a cost to providing space and heat and utilities to house that ambulance in your building. And of course, the major cost is probably going to be staffing. Absolutely. And you're either going to be paying full or part-time staff at some level, maybe daytime coverage or partial coverage, where you're going to be paying stipends to your volunteers to be on call or respond to medical calls. There's also the staff training costs. You send a paramedic, you know, to their refresher for 40 hours uh, class and your EMTs to 20-hour refresher classes. Even if you don't have to pay them tremendous amounts of income, you still have to pay for the programs or the instructors and the materials. There's the cost of everything that goes in that truck. You've got to buy a monitor defibrillator, and it's a $30,000 expense. You maybe amortize it over eight years. It's still $3,750 a year. And you've got to have the, the stretcher and the stair chair and the suction and the oxygen systems. You've got to pay for fuel, preventive maintenance, repairs, tires, and expiring medical supplies that you never use. You know, you got to replace them when they expire, whether you use them or not. Disposables, patient disposable care items. It, it's tremendous. And the administrative costs of being in the ambulance business are huge. It, the, the records management, the data management, the staff time that goes into managing 
to take somebody to the hospital in our service. So we are subsidizing the ambulance service with tax money. Why does your community go for that? Why don't they want a contract with an ambulance service? Because the private ambulance services don't want to provide service here because we don't have enough population density to make it profitable. And we have the wrong demographic mix for them. We have too many Medicare patients. If we were tighter in population and we had, instead of 60% of our patients being Medicare patients, if 60% of our patients were private insurance patients, they might want to do the service here. But the privates don't want to touch us. And or, or if they're willing to touch us, they don't want to meet the standards that we meet. Because what we deliver for the community is we meet a performance standard that's commensurate with the price that the community is paying for the service. So when you, you take this huge number and you divide it by the number of families and households in our community, everybody in this town is paying $477 a year for ambulance service. How does that go over with them? Is that acceptable or is it a fight every year? It's, it used to be a fight, but it's not a fight anymore. And the trick of it is that we get an ambulance to your house in eight minutes or less. We're providing top-notch service for that money. And so people are willing to pay for excellence. They'll pay the higher price for serve higher level of service if you can objectively demonstrate the level of service. And and that's really been our key is that 15 years ago, if you called for an ambulance here in this village, it might have taken 16, 18 minutes to get an ambulance there. People would call back, where's the ambulance? Where's the ambulance? People would just put people in the car and drive to the hospital by themselves before we got there. And they hated paying the money. And we had battles at... Um, here in New England, we have town meetings as opposed to town council where all the voters show up in the, the high school auditorium and get to vote on your budget. And we would have knockdown, drag out fights over our budget. Ever since we started, we got ourselves to a point where we, I can't say guaranteed because there's no guarantees in the emergency services world, but to where we almost got to that point where 90% of the time, 96% of the time, 94% of the time, that ambulance is going to show up at somebody's house in eight minutes or less. People have stopped complaining. What would you say if you had, say, Fire Department A that is served by an ambulance company that they're not satisfied with, and they were considering starting their own EMS service to make it a better service for the patient? Do you think that would be workable if there's already an ambulance service that's in town? I, I think so. You know, I think getting into it because we can do a better job is a better reason to get into it than you know, we're going to get some money to help pay for the fire trucks. Because you, there is a real cultural shift that you need to take. When you make the step into EMS, it is going to become 70% of everything that you do is EMS once you start an ambulance service. And it is a struggle to manage the cultural, the internal kind of cultural issues that 
arise between the EMS providers, the firefighters, the people who do both, the allocation of resources, the training, how you how you allocate your training and, and, and keep all of that going is, is a real struggle for a lot of organizations, even successful ones. We struggle with it and you've got to be on top of it constantly. So the only reason that you want to go down that path is because you can do it better and you can prove that you can do it better. And I think there's a lot of fire-based EMS that does a better job. They're just not necessarily good at demonstrating it or proving it because we, we don't like to we don't like to do statistics sometimes. But I think a lot of us are a lot better than we think. And I think that's the real case that we learned with our community was that once we started to talk about this in terms of quality of care and response times and, and service to the community, and we stopped talking about it in strictly fiscal terms, that's when we really made the connection with why we were a better choice for the community. So I think you're right about that. I think that's a, an important factor for fire departments to think about. Now, what are the issues you were referring to when you started this answer? Is it a matter of firefighter culture not meshing well with people in the same building getting resources to do EMS alone, or how does that work out? Well, it, it's hard to make that transition from being simply a fire department. And you're right, there's a firefighter culture. And we love fire trucks, and we love that world. And one of the things that's important for fire chiefs and, and community leaders to remember is that just because somebody's a great firefighter doesn't mean they're going to be a great EMS provider. And just because somebody's a great EMS provider doesn't mean they're going to be a great firefighter. And some people will do both well, and you need to have room in the organization for all three types of people. And when you have three very different groupings of people under the same roof, it gets difficult to manage. It's a real challenge for the fire chief to keep the groups so that one doesn't feel like it dominates the others or that it's entitled more than the others. And of course, the firefighters were here first. And so you know, a lot of times you're dealing with that sense of who are these invaders? Why are they here? Or well, they're only here so that we get some money to do the fun things that we want to do, but we really don't want to care about you know, what they do. And so you're trying to blend this into a single unified culture. Uh, it takes time and it takes a great deal of effort to get yourself to that position. And so the initial response when we get a medical call is to get that ambulance out the door quickly and to the residents. Thanks for talking with me on Code 3 today. All right. Thank you. Enjoy. After the break, we'll hear from attorney Steve Ward. Federal Resources is a mission-critical solutions provider with only one goal, to empower and prepare the first responder for any threat, at home or abroad, that they are called on to respond to. Your mission is to protect and defend. Our mission is to make sure you're equipped with the knowledge and training on response techniques to current threats. We'll make sure you know the latest innovations in technology to ensure mission success every time. You look out for everyone else. Let us look out for you. Learn more at federalresources.com.
joining me now is attorney Steve Worth. He's been a firefighter, EMT, paramedic, flight paramedic, EMS instructor, fire officer, and EMS executive. And he was one of Central Pennsylvania's first paramedics. In general, is it a good idea for fire departments to supply their own ambulances? Well, certainly every community, Scott, has to make its own decision how it wants to provide emergency medical services. And in many cities and communities, as you know, fire departments provide emergency medical service. I think when it comes down to it, each community has to evaluate what's the appropriate model and, and, and do they have the funding to establish it and maintain it? Because there are so many aspects of operating ambulance service today that make it you know, somewhat complicated. There are legal compliance issues, reimbursement issues, and all those kinds of things that, that have to be factored into it as well. But for many communities, it's a good decision to do that. Others decide to uh, operate EMS as a, as a separate entity. Others decide to contract with a private company to do it. So there's a, so many different models, but certainly fire department-based EMS is one effective model. What are some of the potential pitfalls for a fire department that wants to do this? Well, several pitfalls, if you will, none of which are insurmountable. They're just considerations. One is trained personnel, you know, making sure that you have paramedic advanced life support personnel who can provide the service. That's number one. And, you know, that requires uh, folks with advanced training. Vehicles and equipment, obviously, you're dealing with advanced life support equipment. It's expensive. It's sophisticated. You know, you've got not just the vehicle, but the equipment that goes with it. That's an added cost. There's the training, the quality assurance and quality improvement aspects of this because you need need to have good medical oversight. Certainly, you have to have a medical director. You also have to look at the reimbursement issues and how you're going to go about charging for your services, how much you're going to charge. It involves, for example, Medicare, which is the largest payer of ambulance service generally, requires you to complete a Medicare provider application, which is a rather extensive process to get a Medicare number. And then there's all the issues that go along with following the rules and regulations for reimbursement. So as you can tell, I can go on for quite a while on some of the issues. But like I said, none of them are insurmountable, but they do require a significant financial leadership and medical direction commitment. Are cities or municipalities that are considering this at more of an advantage than, say, a fire district? Yeah, I don't think there's, you know, I mean, whether it's a municipally operated uh, ambulance service or it's done through a fire district, whether it's fire department based from the or a separate fire district. I don't know, it's hard to say if any either of those approaches are more advantageous. To some extent, I would think a separate fire district could have some advantages because they could be a separate taxing authority. And that could allow for funds being used for EMS. The one problem we have seen in fire department-based EMS is this, and that is, you know, when we look at fire service nationally, and every study numbers you look at will show will prove this out that about 80 to 85 percent of all 911 calls for fire department services are generally ems related 
fire departments really provide, you know, the, the number of calls are mostly EMS calls. And sometimes we have seen where the reimbursement for the ambulance service that's being provided by the fire department hasn't always been put back into the EMS section of the fire department. And that has been an issue in some communities that, that we're aware of where, uh, you know, so you got, you know, if a fire department based ambulance service, 85% of the calls are running ambulance calls and all that money just goes back into the general fund. You know, if you're not careful, uh, you know, you could, uh, you know, decide to spend money on other things that are not EMS related, if you know what I mean. I'd like to thank Steve Worth and Joe Maruka for talking with me on Code 3 today. And we put some more information about fire departments and whether they should operate their own ambulances on our website at code3podcast.com slash ambulance. Check it out. Here comes your trivia question. Kelly date. They're used in a lot of departments as a way to avoid OT by giving firefighters an extra day off. But where did the term come from? I'll have the answer right after this. If you like Code 3, you'll love the Code 3 Bull Session. It's more discussion with our guests on any topic. Sometimes it's serious. Anywhere from 14 to 18,000 volts of electricity shot into my right hand and exited my right leg and right arm. Spent about four and a half months in a burn unit. Sometimes it's not so serious. And once again, I, I referred to the late Chief Brunacini. I can remember when his book first came out, Fireground Command, there were people that were ready to hang him in effigy. And, and nowadays we refer to him as St. Bruno. But it's only available to patrons of Code 3. Find out what you've been missing. Go to Code3Podcast.com support. Pledge just $10 a month to support Code 3, and you'll get immediate access to all the bull sessions in our library and future interviews as we post them. Become a patron today. Now, here's the trivia answer. The origin of the term Kelly Days is sort of murky. There are several stories floating around to explain it, but because I'm from Chicago... But because I'm from Chicago, my favorite one comes from the Chicago Firefighters IAFF Local 2. They say the union was able to reduce the work week of firefighters to 72 hours in 1936. They did it by convincing Mayor Edward J. Kelly to give Chicago firefighters a day off for every seven on duty. Hence the term Kelly Day. Chicago firefighters loved the guy. They named him an honorary fire chief. Two quick notes. The 1970s TV series Emergency featured a firefighter named Chet Kelly. And there's a woman named Kelly Day who has been in TV news for many years and is now running a consulting business. I worked with her in the 1980s at KVOA in Tucson. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Love to hear what you think of the show. Just email me, scott at code3podcast.com. I'll be back again next time. I hope you'll join me then, too. I'm Scott Orr.
Until then, stay safe. Code 3 is made possible through the generous support of Federal Resources. Visit them at federalresources.com. This show is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to code3podcast.com. <laughs>